0: You'll find the reading on page 1032 in the Green Bibles, Acts chapter two, beginning to read at verse one, page 1032. When the day of Pentecost came, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. calls on the name of the Lord will be saved this is the word of the Lord
1: wonderful Judith thank you very much indeed everyone else on the reading rota is breathing a sigh of relief that Judith got the one with all those horrible names uh, phew, I won't get one quite as bad as that. Thank you, Judith. I'm conscious this, this morning feels a little bit like the Tim Stilwell show. Uh, um, uh, D is away and H is away. Uh, uh, I'm so looking forward to Will Leaf, our curate. He's currently in Ridley. He's coming. He's ordained on July the 3rd, the same day, the same service in St. Paul's Cathedral, Saturday, the 3rd of July, 3 o'clock, uh, as H, H-E Henrietta, our Ordinand here, will be ordained. So that they're both going to be ordained in the same service. H will uh, be licensed to minister at Holy Trinity Brompton. Will will come here, and my goodness me, his feet aren't going to hit the deck, although uh, they're the running anyway. Um, so that, that'll be wonderful. And do put that date in your diary, um, 3rd of July, 3 o'clock. it be wonderful to support them both. A sort of farewell to H and um, and welcome to Will. Uh, and, and just to say, the Sunday of the weekend at home, the 13th of June, is when we're going to officially say um, thank you and farewell to, to Henrietta. Um, they're going to take a little holiday before her retreat and ordination so that will be her last Sunday with us Uh, again just for those of us home team who've been blessed by her ministry not least her teaching uh, the six o'clock ministry that uh, service at six o'clock as well so the Sunday the 13th of of June I'd love you to keep this open Acts chapter 2 this account that we've just read Um, and here's this uh, picture I got off the internet of these uh, these windsurfers I don't know if you've ever tried windsurfing. Uh, I, I tried it. I use that word advisedly. Um, I, I got a board and a, a sail and um, I was wearing a wetsuit and a, a buoyancy. And I had all the kit. I, I looked like a windsurfer. But I wasn't actually windsurfing. I was just standing on the beach trembling slightly. We got the board out into the, into the water. It was just a faint breeze. There, was nothing, there weren't sort of waves and, and sort of four, six or whatever that might be. Uh, and I was sort of wobbling on the board like this with a sail lying flat on the, on the sea. And the idea is, there's this rope, you sort of pull, gradually pull up the mast until it's, it's vertical. And even then you're not committed, the, the sail is sort of flapping in the wind. But when you, when you, hold, you begin to hold the boom and in, a, in effect restrain the flapping of the sail, you begin to bring the sail to meet the breeze as it was. <laughs> that's, that's all you need. It's just that engagement with the wind that transforms you from an individual on a board to a wind surfer. As, as you engage with this unseen force that is beyond you, outside of you, that you can't control, but as you, as you engage with it, it transforms you. It, it fills you, in a sense. It makes you move across the water. And you respond to it as, as the... As the Wind resists the the, the resistance of the sail, so you lean back, and and at once you're you're engaging. Your whole body is, is, is engaging with this transformative power, and you become a windsurfer. You move under the guidance and direction of that wind. Let's keep that image up. I'd love you to play with that image in your mind, to have that image in your mind as we look at the birth of the early church. That's exactly what happens. The long-promised wind of the Holy Spirit now comes and blows on and engages with and fills Jesus' apostles so that they are transformed, a motley crew locked away for fear of the Jews. And as we've seen from Peter, standing up, the bold... Uh, utterance of a first Christian sermon. Later on in chapter 2, 3,000 added to their number. The exponential rise of the, and growth of the early Christian church never looks back. And all because of the long-promised gift of God, the Spirit, coming to rest on these disciples. Two things, two headings for this morning. Two things that the apostles received at this first Pentecost, two things that by derivation each of us as Christian believers are called and privileged to receive. The first is an inner reality. They received an inner reality. Look at verse 4. All of them, that's the, the, the believers who would gathered at Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were gathered, as you'll know, at a a feast, uh, Pentecost. It's kind of the equivalent of our harvest festival, and it was celebrated traditionally 50 days after the Passover, and it had come to be associated up until now in um, kind of Jewish minds as they gathered together in Jerusalem. It was associated with the giving of the law to Moses, which which occurred 50 days after the Exodus. So there's this great rescue and escape. And then God gives, via Moses, to his people these kind of requirements. This is what, this is what God's people will look like as they live for him. These, these kind of things will mark their lives as different and unique from the other neighboring uh, uh, peoples and religions. But the early church soon came to associate Pentecost with the giving of the spirit that the prophets had promised so long ago. Prophets like Jeremiah. No longer will I, God says through Jeremiah, no longer will I, I write my requirements on, the, on sort of tablets of stone that you kind of go and, and look at. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll do my best. No, I'm going to write my spirit. I'm going to shape my people from the heart. I'll write my laws on their heart. Not external observance, but an inner transformation. Or the prophet Ezekiel, I'll put my spirit in you, God says through the prophet, and I'll move you to follow my decrees. Pentecost, the inner reality, not, a, not an imposition so much as an experience of what God had always promised he would do to shape his people through his law, not the, not the law of Torah now, but the law of the Spirit, the law of life, flowing from within. And so you see, uh, verse 2, this uh, experience, this inner reality is received like the sudden blowing of a violent wind. And verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Wind synonymous in the Bible with, with power, not, again, I mean, if I was to play a word association with you, if I was to say, you know, power, and, and sadly in our kind of Western 21st century sort of political context, we, we maybe think of abusive or corrupted or coercive power, kind of, again, an external imposition from someone over us looking in some way to inhibit or imprison in or enchain us. No, it's not that kind of power at all. Again, it's, it's an inner reality. It's more like an appetite, a a compulsion, a strong desire, an overwhelming desire, in a sense to reprioritize or reorient one's life priorities. You sort of hear the same kind of thing when people make the decision to um, maybe to get fit. They've got a particular race or event. And uh, hitherto they've been eating slightly unhealthily and, and not doing much exercise. And they make the choice to, to begin to cut down on certain unhealthy foods, to begin to do a little bit more exercise. And, and it becomes, actually, the benefit of that is losing a few pounds, of becoming fitter, feeling more healthy. It, 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 it sort of, it's indicative of the fact that there's a fresh desire to, I actually, I don't want to eat those cream cakes. Actually, I'd like to go on another run or a swim or a bike ride. Actually, the, the, the feeling is something that I desire, I want more of. It's that kind of sense with the infilling of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, to realign priorities and to direct lives, wills, dreams, hopes towards the giver of all of this, God in Jesus Christ. And the fire synonymous in the Bible with the burning off of impurity so that what is left, tested by a fire, is is pure, We might say holy in Christian sense. So the infilling of the spirit, the inner reality, a desire, a compulsion to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. Not something that I've got to do, but something that I want to do, I desire to do. I've used the analogy before. But it's appropriate here, I think, of uh, setting out on a long journey, a day's journey. And you take with you a rucksack uh, on your back full of provisions, a a flask of of coffee or tea or whatever, and some food and snacks and that kind of thing. It's it's quite heavy, but you're full of energy. Off you go, and you go for a walk. And after maybe two or three hours, uh, towards the end of the morning, and the sack has begun to feel quite heavy and burdensome. It, you know it's sort of weighing it down, if only I didn't have this sack. So I'm now feeling quite weary. I'm, I'm, I'm low on energy. And that's the time to take the sack off your back, to open it up to, to eat the food, and to drink the drink, to be refreshed on the inside, and, and at one at the same time to lighten the load, to, to lessen the burden. You put the sack on your back it's much lighter, and you've got the energy within empowering you to continue your journey. No longer the the external burdens of the law, but the inner reality, the, the compulsive power of the Spirit driving one on to live a life pleasing to God that reflects his character, his passion, his glory, his goodness. Christian life, Christian living is not so much imitation. Each of us trying to be more like Jesus. The Christian life is, is inhabitation. Each one of us allowing the life of Jesus to become more and more evident in us so that as we allow him to live and move and have his being, we look like him, we live like him, we love like him because we allow him to do that in us. And in so allowing him, we discover that this actually is the way to live. This actually is how we want to live, to love others, to be patient with others, to, to bear all the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, even amid pain and trial and testing. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We, we, we love that they, they taste so good in us. And we love it when we can offer those fruits of his spirit from inside. We love offering those for others to taste. It it, it seems to be the very essence of what living for God is all about. Not trying to do it, but allowing him to live in us. They received an inner reality. Secondly, they received an outward sign. They received an outward sign. Again in verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as you might imagine, that elicited something of a response. Verse 5. There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Just down to um, the end of verse 11, They, they exclaimed, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, "What does this mean?" Some, however, made fun of them, said they've had too much wine. You can kind of understand that, actually. If you enter a busy public, let's take the White Horse just across the way here, uh, at a packed, you know, nice sunny afternoon, or something, you're just round the, the the outside, the terrace. So you go inside, and, and you just sort of stand there, and and you you're kind of confronted by this kind of excited, loosened babble. You know, and it doesn't necessarily make any sense but there's just this sort of babble, babble, babble you can't necessarily pick up any one conversation and, and uh, I guess these God-fearing Jews these aren't the, the, so these aren't sort of heathen these are God-fearers who've gathered for a, you know, a, a religious festival and they, they, they encounter this, this babbling We'll just assume they've kind of walked in on a pub <laughs> these guys are drunk But look, verse 6, it it isn't this unintelligible babble because the thing that bewilders them is they heard uh, everyone, their own language being spoken. This is intelligible speech. That's what they're saying in verse 11 again. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We can understand them. We can hear this and receive it. And uh, as Peter affirms, they're not drunk. They, Verse 13, they've had too much wine. Well, Peter stands up and says, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a little aside, wouldn't it be great to be part of a church where people wander in and assume that we're drunk? <laughs> it seems so fun, so exciting, so lively. I <laughs> sometimes wonder whether... From time to time, people wander in and wonder if we're hungover rather than drunk. But people notice something. There's something that that amazes and perplexes and causes questions. What's what's going on amongst these guys? What have they been on? (laughs) What are they drinking? I'll have some of that. But Peter's able to explain what it is. It's an outward sign that points to what God is doing. Let's look at this just briefly. What is it? That amaze these onlookers as they see the outward sign of the spirit, this uh, God-given, spirit-inspired ability to speak a language that they'd not hitherto learned, or maybe even used. Well, I want to suggest, in verse 11, again, the second part of verse 11. We hear them; they declare. They declare. Sorry, we hear them. They say, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I think the thing that amazes them is not that they hear the wonders of God, but they hear it from these Galileans, these unschooled Galileans. They hear it in their own tongue, literally their their native language or native dialect. What's God doing here at Pentecost through the Spirit? See, God could have Just chosen one of the common languages at the time. He could have chosen Greek. It was was spoken by many, understood by many others, if not their first tongue. God could have taken a human language and communicated through them. That would have made sense, wouldn't it? I mean, if if God wants to communicate clearly, to speak clearly to people, why not take a language that they already use and just speak through that? Just a common language, See, what God is doing here is he doesn't just want to make some kind of impersonal, detached statement. God, in speaking to each one of these people groups in their own language, their own nuanced tongue, he wants to communicate directly with them. It's not some kind of soundbite from afar, from afar. It is him getting into their lives, into their understanding, into their worldview, into their fears and hopes, into the very deepest part of their being. He wants each and every one of them to hear him personally. And he does it in a supernatural way natural language, but in a supernatural way. That's what amazed and perplexed them, that they can hear God through these Galileans clearly. See, it's an affirmation of how God works. Through Jesus' life and the incarnation, God becomes one of us, something that we understand and recognize and grasp. He becomes a fellow human being. He didn't become some kind of, you know, other being, some kind of alien, something separate from us. He became one of us. We saw him cry and laugh. We saw him uh, tired and sleepy. We saw him human. God, God comes right into our worldview. He becomes, in a sense, natural. But the church is not a natural institution. It is not first and foremost premised on human ingenuity or human wisdom. And so God, through the coming of the Spirit, births the church in a supernatural way. Natural language imparted to each of the hearers in a supernatural way. God with us, like us, and yet different from us too. Christ, particularly in his incarnation and the Spirit. God is wanting to say, in effect, as Peter begins to reveal to these early believers, I'm birthing my church, but I'm birthing my church in such a way that I call you in in a very deep and personal way. You, I will reveal to you. I will speak your language. And I will call you to be part of my church, to worship me and then as, as just the very heartbeat of, of who I am, to go out into all corners of the world and to share my love and to spread my gospel. But you'll do it my way, empowered by my spirit. Just imagine what would happen. Let's suppose that God had chosen the Greek language to, to communicate there and to birth his early church. What, what would have happened? We know, don't we, something of human pride. What would have happened to the Greeks among the believers? You know, when push came to shove, a little bit of tension, we've got to sort of work things out. We, we see it, don't we, in our own political landscape right now, this sort of new coalition forming. Sort of who has, how does this all work out? Whose agenda? Who's yeah. And And the temptation to pull rank, well, don't forget, Pentecost, he did speak in Greek. So I think it's the Greeks who have the priority in decision-making. I think it's the Greeks who will have most members on the cabinet and sort of human pride, that kind of control. So God God speaks in languages that they understand, but in a brand new way, the language of the Spirit superseding all the other languages. The supernatural gift and ability to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables. I want to say more about the gift of tongues. We're, we're going to um, come on later on in the term. You'll see from the term card to look at the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I think actually that what is uh, described here is a slightly different phenomena from what's described by Paul in the church to Corinth. Although interestingly, it's the same Greek word used. I, I think it's the same phenomena actually, but, but different elements of its spectrum. But more of that in due course. The message of Pentecost for us through this inner reality and this outward sign is that we would know the inner reality of God's presence in our lives and that we would become that outward sign to the world. That God is amongst us. God is present. God is here to heal and to restore, to bring comfort, to strengthen to release and bring freedom. I've run out of time. But the application, I think, is simply this. As we see men and women in our neighborhoods and our places of work, we see men and women beginning maybe to sense that there's a board and a sail and there's wind trying to work out a connection to, to bring that, sort of, that incredible sort of fulfillment that a windsurfer feels, the same kind of connectedness and wholeness, the same kind of thrill, in a sense, of life. We see people working at life. And we who have the Spirit who enables us to, as it were, windsurf with the Lord, we are the ones to, to spot where they're at, Do do they need help getting on the board or identifying the direction of the wind? Perhaps we can help them to pull up the sail or give them the the encouragement they might need first to, to pull in the boom and to begin to move. Holy Spirit, where is my neighbor, my colleague, my family member, the contact at work? Where are they in relation to you and particularly in relation to your spirit? Just because we know who the Spirit is, if I can make that charitable assumption this morning, just because we know who the Spirit is and have had some kind of taste ourselves doesn't mean that those who don't come to church, who don't profess faith in Christ, aren't able in some way to intuit something of the Spirit realm. And we're the ones to discern where they're at and to help them with the next step so that they can hear God speaking to them in their language. And in so hearing, they come to respond to the Lord. Pentecost, the life of the Spirit. So that when others are asking, maybe perplexed and amazed, what does this mean? What's going on? We are in some way to to connect what God is doing through his church and in his world, the advancement of his kingdom, what God is doing with some of the things that do perplex and amaze us. That God is working out his plans and his purposes. God has a big picture. We have talked about it earlier. And piece by piece he's putting it together. And although that picture is not complete yet, we've seen enough to recognize what he's up to. Can we help others to see the world through God's eyes, through spirit eyes, so that they can begin to make sense of the big picture and begin to work out what their part is in it? Who will tell them? Who will show them if it isn't first and foremost each and every one of us? Imagine, I don't know how many there are, 60, 70 of us, 80 of us here. Imagine if each one of us in the next month were to engage with just one other person to help them to windsurf, to help them to live their lives, that inner reality beginning to be an outward sign to a hurting world, to a needy world, to a questioning world. Let's stand together. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing our final song, our offertory song. Perhaps, guys, come and join me here. But let's just have a moment or two of quiet. Think back to what it took the first. Disciples and apostles of Jesus courageously to birth, play their part in birthing the early church. To recognize the wind of the Spirit and to go with him. For each and every one of us this morning, as we continue in that work, building Jesus' church and of extending his kingdom, fulfilling the mandate to preach the gospel to every corner of the earth. Just in this moment of quiet for you to ask in the quietness of your heart, Lord, where is your spirit taking me? In my place of work, at home, in my relationships? What is your spirit saying to me in tests and the challenges. Who is your Spirit calling me to draw alongside? Who's asking, perplexed, amazed, maybe fearful? Who's asking? Who's seeking, Lord? Lord, how can we be like Peter standing up boldly to explain? Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. We remain standing for our offertory hymn. Uh, Please, if you're a visitor or a guest here, please don't feel obliged to give.